Spade Spoon Soul, a podcast about all the way food intersects with our being, from seed to spade to soul. Hi, I'm Brian Sellers-Peterson. I am coming to you from the Cascade Mountains in Washington State, sort of sitting on the border of the Diocese of Spokane and Olympia. I'm flying solo today as host. If you were looking forward to having uh, Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs or Jerusalem Greer hosting today, hopefully, well, I'm positive your disappointment will be short-lived because we have Kathleen, Rachel, and Lisa. This is a special pre-Episcopal Church General Convention episode. The convention will be starting July 8th and runs until July 11th in Baltimore, the home of our producer, Derek Weston. Today we are talking with members of Committee 20, which is Environmental Stewardship and Care of Creation. First, I'd like to introduce Kathleen Bascom. She is the Bishop of Kansas and uh, is the, the Vice Chair of Committee 20 for the House of Bishops. And she was also, during the last triennium, a member of the Task Force on Creation, Care, and Environmental Racism. I'd like to also introduce my neighbor um, and friend, Rachel Tabor Hamilton, who's the rector of Trinity Parish in Everett, Washington. Uh, and she is a part of the deputation from the Diocese of Olympia and chairs uh, Committee 20 um, for the House of Deputies. And Lisa Ransom, who I do not see enough of because she's on the other end of the country. Lisa's the vicar of the historic Church of Our Savior that was, I think, founded back in the late 1800s at Mission Farm in Killington, Vermont. And um, you should check them out. Just Google Mission Farm Killington, Vermont, and you can learn all sorts of great things about a farm that also happens to be a worshiping community. Um, She is a member of Committee 20. And just a, a brief disclaimer, I serve as a, a DFMS, a Domestic and Foreign Missionary Society consultant for Good News Gardens, and I was a member of the Task Force on Creation Care and Environmental Racism with Kathleen during the last triennium. We're going to depart from the norm today in terms of our conversation, but I still want to kick off with a question we always ask. Where are you rooted? Where are you rooted? A place or a community, um, you, it's your decision. So, um, Lisa, where are you rooted? Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here. I am rooted currently um, on unceded Abenaki territory in the Ottaquiche Valley in the middle of the Green Mountains of Vermont. And um, I live here in this space with um, the black bear and the porcupine and a whole variety of amazing creatures um, on this space that was um, deeded to the Episcopal Church in 1895. Um, we're a worshiping community here, and I am a new newbie to um, General Convention, uh, a deputy, new deputy, and a new newbie to this committee. And so I'm really thrilled to be here. But I'll also say that I originally um, came through the Diocese of Kansas. So I have a connection with um, Bishop Kathleen, too. Hey, how about my neighbor to the West, Rachel? 
Thank you, Brian. I am rooted on the traditional lands of the coastal Salish peoples on Whitby Island, Washington, off the coast of Washington State, uh, and also rooted in my culture of interior British Columbia, Shikan First Nation, uh, an Athabascan-speaking piece of a coalition of Nicola Tribal Association which is Salish. <laughs> so we have a, a history in this area that continues to inform how I operate as a priest on the mainland in Everett, Washington. And so our uh, kind of environment on Whitby Island where I am on the south end has populations of coyote. And we did get a black bear that managed to swim across the sound of the Salish Sea. <laughs> and we have several kinds of raptors and birds, shorebirds. Uh, in our area where we are. And my very favorite app is Merlin to help me identify all those amazing birds. Kathleen. Yeah, it's great great to be with everyone this morning. Uh, come to you from the Eastern portion of Kansas, which was um, home particularly to the Ka people right where we are, but many other groups, um, Osage, Potawatomi, Cheyenne to the West, um, a favorite place of, of rootedness for me is if I go just an hour west, I am in the Kanza Prairie, and it is the, the largest swath of tall grass prairie that remains uh, that's preserved uh, in, our, in our nation. And right here is the Diocese of Kansas Center on, on three acres uh, that was given to the church in 1860 for the education of women and we're restoring acreage to teaching prairie, uh, sustainable food gardens and an outdoor chapel in memory and, and um, empowerment of uh, an African-American church that was closed that's near us. So that's where I'm feeling rooted. Thank you everyone. Um, I know you have been hard at work with resolutions that have been sent to your committee that um, well, I understand, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, they will all go onto the consent calendar. And so in some measure, um, you did the work on our behalf, and so I'd like to thank you. But the, the, I just want to read the titles of the six resolutions that are coming out of Committee uh, 20. Um, AO 20 is the support decade of action to achieve sustainable development goals something our church has been working on for a long time, and we can't lose sight of that. AO87, net carbon neutrality by 2030. Boy, we're going to have to work on some plans for that because 2030 is right around the corner. AO88 is commit to the pressing work of addressing global climate change and environmental justice. Well, that's pretty broad. Um, um, sounds pretty aspirational, uh, but something that is definitely um, a part of who we are as Episcopalians and, and how we see our baptismal covenant. CO15 is carbon sequestration, which would create an internal carbon offset program for the church. We have CO16, climate change, carbon-intensive lending, um, which you know, will be taken up by investment committees 
of the church, but again, it's something that we all need to be educated about because many of us uh, um, um, can influence decisions in terms of how loans are made and how our investments are handled. And then last, DO27, encouraging utilization of virtual governance options for creation care. Well, I warned you in advance that I really am interested in AO87, carbon neutrality by 2030, and CO15, uh, creating a carbon offset program. I especially am interested in them because of a resolution that was passed in 2018 in, in Austin, Texas, because I think that it informs a lot of who we are and what we need to be and can support all these resolutions, in fact, and that's DO53. It calls on the church to model policies for sustainable church land use. I was taught by my grannies in Nebraska that charity begins at home. And, um, you know, we have all these commitments that we've made that reach far beyond our borders, and we need to live up to them, we need to support them, we need to actively engage with them. But we also need to be practicing what we preach. The, the three of you have been engaged in, in that action on church land, so I'd just like to throw it open to one of you um, to talk a little bit about how your work currently um, informs um, your work uh, of General Convention. I'm getting some big time uh, body language from Bishop Bascom. So why oh. don't you fire fire away? Sure, I, I would love to start us off. And I think um, Brian, you and I came to know each other best in 2018, working on D053, I believe on our legislative committee. And for me, the focus of uh, D053 is church-owned properties and partnerships. And we have seen such, um, you know, beautiful things growing in the time since that general convention and that general convention resolution. I think the agrarian ministries, uh, the Good News Gardens, um, I know, again, that here I spoke about our diocesan center. You know, this is kind of a foundation for work we've done in Kansas on the transformation of our own diocesan property, but also, um, you know, something that empowered us to look at church-owned properties in Kansas. So we have now eight different creation care sites where things like, I don't know that much about, about Lisa, where she is and what she's doing, but you know we're trying to look really seriously at uh, the land the church owns for these things. As we worked on it, we also realized that private Episcopalians own land that's not church-owned property, but we started building them in because there's many of, uh, you know, a growing number of impassioned people trying to restore 
prairie, ten forests, um, do more sustainable agriculture. And we started weaving them into that net network that started with church-owned property. And then for me, um, getting that privilege of attending uh, the UN Climate Summit, Rachel was there as well as part of the presiding bishop's delegation, and, and seeing the call for nature-based solutions for the, for the ground up, that, that if we're gonna move forward at all and impact in the way we need to, that we have to link, uh, which is exactly what A087 is doing, reducing our emissions and changing our lifestyles with this care of the land. Um, so I'm excited about how A087 takes uh, what began in, in D053, you know, and just moves it forward um, in a larger way. And I think I'll, I'll turn it over to Lisa and, and Rachel. If we get time, I'd like to talk about, you know, one particular resolve um, that I was kind of behind with some other bishops from the Midwest that maybe talk about that later, but turn it over to Rachel or Lisa. Hey, Lisa, um, you're a, you're a composter. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. You are uh, a businesswoman um, that um, ran a composting company that was, you know, um, sequestering a, a lot of carbon. And, um, and I would imagine that uh, Mission Farm is, serves as a pretty huge carbon sink um, on church land. So talk to us a little bit. Yeah, no, I um, I think, um, I mean, one of the places where I find the most hope in our church right now is in the, um, the opportunities we have to make a difference in the conservation of our environment and to really change this crisis or turn this crisis around and make it make a change. And I think exactly what Bishop Bascom said you know, it's in the partnerships and it's in using this, these church lands to be a model and an example of how um, we all need to learn a new way of living um, in partnership and reciprocity with the natural world. And um, I, for um, 15 years, um, sort of left full-time ministries to run a business, as Brian said, in composting, and it felt more like the church than anything I'd ever done before. So when I had the opportunity to come back to a space um, and a bishop who was willing to let me um, really um, build a church based on conservation, um, I took the opportunity. And, you know, I think in lots of ways, um, small ways and large ways, individually and as a church, we can make a huge difference from composting to, um, you know, growing oak trees, um, to making those corridors and partnerships with other churches so that we have, um, we, we create a margin for these species to stay alive in our, in our world. So. Hey, Rachel, what's going on on Wimpy and, um, and the Diocese of Olympia that you'd like to talk about? You know, there's so many ways in which I feel like we've had the opportunity recently to be responding to, the, to these kinds of initiatives and thoughts around uh, whether it's carbon sequestration or other kinds of 
ways that we continue to, um, when we have the opportunity to make different choices, we make different choices uh, that are more um, environmentally aware and sustainable. Uh, and one of the ways that's come out in my own parish in Trinity Everett is we're about, we're going through some renovation <laughs> and each of our choices is being informed by, a, you know, how, what kind of toilets are we getting? How much water do they use? What kind of uh, paint are we using? I mean, it's everything. It's everything. What are we? What are we putting in here? What are we putting on the roof? Uh, you know. Uh, so it's it's this mindful practice of how will what we're doing as a community be authentic and consistent with a, a commitment to care for creation, because we're an urban setting. And where the parish is, which is very different from where I live on South Whitby. Uh, so South Whitby has like environmental institute and it has all this, um, you know, huge awareness. And so that's really feeding my spirit. But it also informs coming into this urban parish setting and giving people to find ways for people to connect with local urban initiatives. For example, we have um, a it's called Snow Isle Co-op of small farmers and who are committed to sustainable uh, farming practices and so we and organic farming practices so they're small little businesses uh, and we our people are very active in supporting that sometimes serving on the board I've served on that board uh, and it, it again what's what it does is it acts in this circular way of continuing to bring back the awareness into the congregation and and find ways for people to participate in those partnerships another way is um, that I find myself really kind of in the midst of a lot recently is helping to build a sense of uh, spiritual uh, practice and theology, creation theology to this, because otherwise what I think it can feel like to people is just a whole set of programs or rules and regulations. Uh, and so trying to set all spiritual practice within gospel practice, with you know, connecting it always back into uh, how, how do we, as a predominantly Western-informed church, reconnect our theology and spirituality to the earth. When so much Christian history, because it is wedded to Western history, spent you know thousands of years separating itself as being distinct from nature and better than nature and superior to nature and and, and justified everything from cultural genocide. Uh, you know, to horrible extractive processes that do, you know, perpetual harm. So bringing people into that sense of right now, I'm running a, a group of people who are uh, not native folks who very much want to create a, almost kind of an indigenization of Western Christian thought. Because what I keep pressing to them is we don't need, you don't need to co-opt indigenous cosmology and life ways. What you need to do is, is heal your own system of thought and your own spirituality and restore the earth as central to the, your covenant with God. I think it flows well from what Rachel just said in such a moving way um, about healing the earth. Um, as I read a, a 087 and was, you know, really pleased to see it. Um, the, the, some of the things I loved about it was just, you know, my growing understanding, it, it contains within it, my growing understanding of almost a scale of carbon we're reducing and carbon we're capturing 
my own window into the second part really came more from issues around water, from flooding that happened in Iowa and my, my kind of it was a real aha enlightenment time that my love of tall grass prairie that had started here in Kansas, just because of the biodiversity and the spacious landscape and, you know, both biodiversity of, of plant species and, um, you know, and some of the pretty subtle animal species. So I had that love already. And then when I was 17 years in Iowa, um, and in a time of great flood events, came to learn that prairie restoration was a really helpful mitigating practice that I and Iowans were starting to do because the deep-rooted prairie plants helped to absorb water, but the soybeans and the corn don't, simply don't. And with all the prairie removed, you know, those buffers were so needed. So it was kind of um, this coming together. And so my my interest in what I later learned of, of the, you know, prairie and forest restoration, preservation, I, I came into it because of the biodiversity and what it does around water, both quality and mitigation, and then learned about the carbon sequestration. Sorry to sound you know, like kind of a, an ignorant latecomer on these things, but it was like, oh my gosh, now it's so much, it's even more important. Um, so my resolve simply was as I read A087 and appreciated its focus on the, the true practices of the presiding bishop's office of, of travel by different organizations within the Episcopal Church, travel of bishops, to both limit and start to find these creation-centered um, ways to offset. But the, the, the like you said, Brian, the emphasis on buying offsets, maybe, did, maybe that's, a, you know, it, it didn't hit with what I've been learning about our own stewardship of the land and how do we bring that into our greater consciousness and how do we empower Episcopalians to hold the line? I think last year, um, I think a million and a half acres of prairie and grasslands in the U.S. was developed. Takes away that biodiversity, that carbon sequestration, and yet we have many here um, who are interested in holding the line. Interestingly, I'm, I'm learning many here are ranchers, which used to be not always together with the environmentalists, but beautiful rangeland is kept here in huge tracts, and suddenly I'm going to visit them. So this idea that um, just working with our own church lands that, you know, is, is incredible, we must do it, we must teach, but I think it's gotta be bigger. And we have influence with all these Episcopalians who are immersed in, in the theology Rachel talks about, even if they don't aren't as conscious and we can just get that to them more. But how do we build networks of these people? I'm not even yet quite sure what the networks are going to do exactly, but I believe that they will be interested in, again, helping one another hold the line Put, you know, restore more of native species, keep development at bay, 
pray for one another, you know, share the theological and spiritual resources um, and, and, and link like for us in the Midwest, water is so important to link across our diocese with people in our regions, you know, for instance, Colorado, you know, what's happening just to the West of us in these incredible water issues um, and the depletion of the aquifer, these kind of things, the church needs to take its place. And with today, I can't even believe what we're hearing from the Supreme Court on the EPA today. I'm, I'm, I'm just stunned and in mourning, but it's to get to be on this podcast with these women and you, Brian, it is a calling moment. This is a Kairos moment and the church in our, in our whole society work, we have to step up and influence with our people to take the Jesus movement to care for all of God's creation. So I'm, as I want to do, I'm going on. And, um, but we added a resolve that creates uh, a, a kind of mandate for all dioceses to begin to build networks of the Episcopalians who can uh, uh, really do a lot of this work, no matter what their kind of biosphere, whether they're coastland, forest, prairie. So how we bring accountability, how we empower that network, I'm not yet sure, but great if, it, if this passes and we can get a start on it. Well, I think we need to do it um, at home simultaneously with building the networks. Fact is, um, you know, the Episcopal Church is one of the largest religious landowners um, in the United States, if you take it per member. You know, of course, the Roman Catholic Church owns a lot more, but our little mighty one point whatever million, um, we own a lot of land. You know, you, you take uh, uh, all the camps and conference centers, 8,000 or so parishes, monast monasteries, um, you know, I always you know, remember the Crown bought Manhattan Island uh, from the Iroquois for some beads uh, and trinkets. And then Queen Anne turned around and gave 400 acres to that little parish down on Wall Street. Uh, we own a lot of land um, that we can be practicing. Um, and so kind of one example that I've started to use a lot is uh, Trinity Church in Wichita. Um, they had no mow May. Um, you know, to increase pollination. And um, I think it would be a great campaign um, for the church to let's keep our, our mowers in the shed uh, at a minimum um, in May. And maybe that'll get us to start considering the possibility of having uh, in dioceses like Iowa and Kansas just to have prairie grass um, or, or, you know, using native uh, planting, you know, having edible landscaping. And um, I think that we need to um, be practicing regenerative landscaping on our property, regenerative gardening, um, and, and um, sequestering carbon. So I really applaud that, that, that resolve. Um, but I think we need to be aggressive well, we're trying to figure out what the partnerships are. We need to be aggressive in doing it on the land that we are stewards of now. 
And then Brian, I do. I'm gonna wait, 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 Brian. Before you, before you move on, Brian, I want to talk about the partnerships we need to create where we are. So, and also the networks that we need to mindful of and can support. The Anglican Indigenous Network is one of the best kept secrets in the Anglican Communion, and we had to work for several years to even get recognized, uh, you know, (laughs) from the council. Uh, console of ACC to even uh, be acknowledged and send us a liaison. But we are, and it, what we do is, is supporting each other and our communities in both indigenous communities and their allies in the Anglican communion, uh, whether we're talking about the Amazon rainforest and the bishops in that area that are partnering with indigenous peoples and the preservation of that extremely important carbon sink asset, whether we're talking about Anwar and supporting uh, Bishop Mark Latim and the advocacy for indigenous peoples to preserve uh, very naturally occurring uh, grasslands that are caribou herd uh, feeding areas and whether here in Washington state, uh, people will often forget that we house the biggest rainforest in North America on the Washington Olympic Peninsula, which is losing acreage every year to the way that the Army Corps of Engineers partners with extractive industry. And so all of this is, you know, environmental justice partnering with the church and and the awareness of even what is occurring and the education of that is so important. And one of the very important links is to know that 90% of our global, uh, most diverse global biomes, 90% are stewarded by indigenous people. They're attached, associated with indigenous populations that extractive industries and governments are very interested to continue to take away from them, us, you know. So it is also involving partnering with indigenous populations wherever we are, those who are trying to restore, uh, whether it's, you know, naturally occurring grasslands, whether it's forests, on and on and on, and become aware of what are their initiatives uh, as natural, you know, kind of stewards that are, that do have it as a very much a cultural and spiritual value uh, to sustain the earth. So I wanted to just jump in and say, there are already networks that we just need to partner with. And it does multiple things. It's social justice advocacy with our indigenous people is always going to be connected to environmental justice and advocacy issues. So if we're not connected to our indigenous populations, wherever we are, even in our urban areas, <laughs> uh, then we, we need to be mindful of that and do that work and do those partnerships and relationships. Lisa, Tell us a little bit about what you're doing um, with the Abenaki um, out your way. Yeah, so we, one of the um, initiatives that we have um, embarked on in the last couple of years is to really to to connect with those indigenous um, people who are in this space. And um, that hasn't always been, it hasn't been easy. Um, for a lot of reasons, um, there are a lot of trust issues, and we, um, you know, uh, understand that. And so, um, one of the ways that we were able to partner with them last summer was to grow um, indigenous seeds that they provide for us, um, and then we produce uh, we produced um, 533 pounds of squash and. Um, corn and beans, and then we're able to give them back to them. And so um, that was a wonderful way to sort of um, to start uh, that relationship because it, 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 that hadn't been done previously. 
Um, this space at Mission Farm uh, certainly was a farm at one time because it was the only way that anyone who lived here could eat, but it is really not conducive to farming. It really, it's, uh, our emphasis is really on conservation and farming where we can and making use, good use of the land um, to make a difference for our environment and for our communities. But I just did also want to just say that I, um, I love the resolution that um, Kathleen and her colleagues brought forward um, because it does bring it home. And I think a lot of times because this crisis, the bigger it gets, the harder it is for people to find a way to make a difference in their own communities and in their own backyards. Um, and so I'm hoping that um, we can figure out a way to do that because I think it is uh, everything from not mowing to um, you know, composting to growing a tree to, you know, those little, those little things will make a difference. So. Can I ask real quick a question to Lisa? Rachel, do you care? Oh, please. Um, can you even give a little bit more about your community, you know, faith community and worship and spirituality? Because I think that's another huge opportunity for all of us. And I know that Brian's already done so much of this work around like, you know, community gardens and then, you know, communities gathering and new people coming into the Episcopal Church, knowing who we are. And I think there's so many ways in which farms and land out there could be wonderful thresholds for these new communities. So can you say something about that? Because I don't know your place, really. Yeah, so um, this is 180 acres. It is the largest piece of land owned by the Episcopal Diocese of Vermont. Um, it is in a community of 600 residents. So we are a teeny tiny community with a huge amount of land. And for many years, it's sort of been fallow. So there's a lovely little uh, sort of out of place English Gothic stone church chapel on site um, and the population of folks who would come on Sunday mornings was like five to ten. That's a lot of work for a vicar to live in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's it. We needed to be more than that. We were being called to be more than that. Um, I've been here only for two and a half years and our work has really been to listen to listen to the spirit, which is absolutely calling us to something more, to something different, calling our church to something different, calling our gathering of people to something different. And, um, and so I, we worship outdoors. I think the pandemic has sort of helped move us outside the walls of the church, which, uh, you know, and that was, that's been kind of a bright spot for us. Um, on Sunday mornings, we gather outdoors. Um, if it's 50 degrees and not raining, if we're outdoors. Um, and we have from 10 to 30 people. Um, and we are offering a lot of virtual um, opportunities as well to study sort of eco-spirituality, ways that we can be faithful people and connect with the earth and the source of all. Um, and that is our goal. And um, we also have a bakery here that is evolving into a cooperative space so that we can bring um, our community um, into, uh, you know, we can actually look outward because for so long the church looks inside and it's all about looking out. So anyway, I could go on and on, but there's also a guest house and you're welcome here anytime. It's even got running water and heat and um, no air conditioning, but we've got fans. So 
anyone's well, you're welcome to come. This gives me an opportunity to plug a previous episode of, uh, you know, Triple S, um, where we had Lisa do a podcast on, on Mission Farm. So um, we're going to put that out uh, alongside this one again, because that one, that podcast is definitely evergreen since you've been going since the late 1800s. Um, it's good. So, hey, Rachel, you had something, and I know it's important. Oh, I was only going to direct and say thank you to um, Kathleen for her addition to uh, that particular resolve. We've been talking about carbon sink um, because she also added this resolve, which I noticed isn't actually in the version that's posted. So I want to make sure that we get that that revised version with the amendment, (laughs) the amended version on to the, the website. I'm not too sure how that works, but because the result that she added, it really, you know, says to bishops, says to her peers, we're going to be doing this within our diocese. We're, we're going to lead this. Yeah, so I want to highlight um, one thing in DO53, and I especially want to give a shout out to uh, Nuria Parrish, who was a member of Committee 20 in Austin in 2018 and is the founder of Plain Song Farm. In Michigan, this has just been a real passion of her. She's done incredible work um, with uh, her work through church lands um, and getting churches to think about their stewardship. But I want to read the uh, one of the resolves um, because I think we need to talk about you know how do we um, because this sort of encapsulates a lot of legislation. But how do we turn all this legislation, much of which doesn't have any funding. Uh, So in a sense, they're unfunded mandates, um, but um, they're also aspirational, they're inspirational, and they should be informing us how we preach, how we teach, how we lead. And um, so um, that we've been called to develop model processes which dioceses, faith communities, and institutions may collaborate with partner agencies to care for creation and sequester carbon through regenerative agriculture, biodiversity conservation, green burial, and habitat restoration. Um, so there's a report back to this convention about uh, the work that has been accomplished through you know, a variety of means, but it will be if this is a continuing process, you know, of how do we do this? And I think your resolve, uh, Kathleen, um, you know, helps move this forward. But I wonder if any of you care to comment on that as a part of our life and faith as a church. Okay, Kathleen, well, what do you think? L- l- like I said, I think that um, D053 really was like a launch pad a very important launch pad that we did see actualization in places like uh, Nuria and Lisa. And I think it's interesting that A087 and C015, though I don't understand C015 as well, looks to me like some of that lack of funding that you're talking about, Brian, that's in, that's, you know, not there in D053, should be coming at us. I mean, if I understand rightly that um, 
part of the carbon offset idea is, or, or the, the carbon balance is that um, travel dollars, dollars that have been spent on travel by a, a 087 are supposed to be redirected for the very kinds of um, nature-based solutions that we're all excited about and talking about that I think that within these, but again, Brian, you're kind of, you called some of us the church nerds. I'm not throwing any labels here, but I know you're good at reading these things. <laughs> but are you seeing some of that economic push in, in those two resolutions you've highlighted for us uh, for more money? And I don't know what the process is, you know, for claiming, and, it, and I imagine that may be a, a task force work um, in the next triennium or whatever we're calling this shortened triennium, you know, where, how can, you know, how will people be able to apply for newer monies that I think are being called for here? But let me know if I'm on track, off track, what's your read of these things? All to be revealed, I guess, on uh, one hand. But I also think that, um, you know, we've got incredibly creative and imaginative people out there. Um, and so, all you know, um, you know, there could be people in the diet. Let's let, let me pick on Vermont for a second. Um, you know, there are a lot of individual Episcopalian churches uh, that are using carbon and should be offsetting that carbon. Well, here we have this this farm that is um, sequestering carbon. Is there a way that pe people could just make a donation for the carbon they use to Mission Farm? Um, uh, and this is something that's been done in the Diocese of Olympia through a program they've had with the Diocese of Southern Philippines, where they're doing you know actual sort of measuring of the carbon they're offsetting through agricultural work. And people can buy offsets um, through that. And, and so um, I think we should be encouraging um, people as they consider offsets uh, to kind of go to an alternative route. Um, you know, maybe not a, a sort of a formal offset company that kind of measures things and, you know, but you know, sort of more of a faith commitment. We know that Mission Farm, we know that Bethany on the campus of the Diocese of Kansas in the cathedral is sequestering carbon because they're practicing regenerative techniques and practice. Um, and, and so we're going to donate, uh, you know, that, that plane trip we took, we're going to donate $17 to Mission Farm to offset our travel because we know they're sequestering a carbon. We're talking about That's such a cultural shift, right? Because, you know, the, the, the congregations and the communities in the, in the past that have been most highly funded and who have a full-time staff and all of that are the ones who aren't doing that work, whose focus is something else. And not that it's a bad thing, but it's not that. Um, and I'm, I'm a one third time, I'm one third time. I mean, I live here, but I'm one third time. It's with no help. Um, and so that it's like, we have to make some changes in our church. Um, and not just for me, but for all kinds of these programs where people understand that this is our work as the church. 
you know, and I, and I, I think it, you know, I'm so grateful to have a bishop who understands that and who wants to make that kind of a change because there's a lot, I feel a lot of resistance, you know, and I feel even in our prayer book, sorry, I feel that there is, there is a lot of harmful theology there, you know, that needs to be shifted. It's small shifts, but it needs to happen. Thank you for those honest words. And I think it does inspire us. And one of the things I like about that resolve that got added and, and, and the naming of diocese already, Brian, your vision, I think, um, is great. And if the so-called, you know, green bishops, which is a growing group that just organically gathers, whatever, we're at House of Bishops, um, Bishop Andrews has tended from California, has tended to be the one to draw people together. Um, but I think that the idea of those of, of a diocese being accountable for this balance, right? And um, the, the World Resources Institute is working with the Episcopal Church and some certain dioceses and for free willing to help us on initiatives. And they might be a great partner to do a little of, you're, you're saying we don't have to get too sciencey about it but they might for free, you know, help us because I don't really know how, you know, how do I do, how do I do that? How do I take a Kansas city parish suburban, you know, lovely, lovely people on steroid, you know, kind of suburbia on steroids a little bit there on the West side of Kansas city and balance. And I know they would be willing and balance them with some of, you know, with me who has 25,000 acres you know, of rangeland, grasslands, and, and who can help us figure that out. But I think if we could start living those models per, you know, I guess that's in there, like you're saying in D053, is this raising up of new models. Oh, it's pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, there's, this keeps reminding me how, you know, the comment that Lisa made about prayer book and our theology. It's absolutely true. That's what I really keep coming back to about what um, what are we kind of drenched in as a church that it's really hard to change the messaging when the way that uh, you know the, the, the Western mechanism of the church has of, of making changes is so drawn out and difficult and people are fairly uh, you know com- committed in identity to this older language and older theology because it really does mean a shift internally uh, as great as the shift when humanity recognized that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. And we need to have that kind of spiritual shift within us that humanity is not the center of creation. And, and our theology, our prayer book, our prayers just keep reinforcing that worldview. And it's a worldview that has led to the destruction of the earth. And so we have to fundamentally change even our cultural cosmology and our theology around all of that. Yeah, to, to Lisa, I think it was amazing to see it start to see in Iowa how when we began like, trying to raise up creation care sites, that it was often our smallest parishes that had the most biodiversity, the most land, the most access to beautiful water sites. And that's, I'm kind of Franciscan in my outlook, um, but want to be imbued with, with all the kind of things that Rachel's speaking about and doing. But, you know, that um, 
you know, Friar Minor, suddenly where places of faithful people have been seen as not rich with the changed worldview are so rich. And um, how do we keep preaching that? How do we keep preaching that? Well, I know that the three of you will keep preaching that and practicing that and um, and uh, having important conversations uh, with your, your fellow bishops, with your deputation during general convention. Maybe you'll get an opportunity to uh, go visit some of the urban agriculture that's going on in um, the diocese of Maryland and in Baltimore. Um, and uh, so I just want to thank all of you uh, for giving your time today. So with that, um, um, this is it for um, today's Spade, Spoon, and Soul, uh, also known as Triple S. And if you want to know more about um, our uh, podcast, you can find us on the Spade, Spoon, Soul Facebook page or email us at Spade, Spoon, Soul podcast at gmail.com. I'd especially like to thank our producer, Derek Weston, resident of Baltimore, who also happens to be a Presbyterian pastor, a community organizer, urban farmer, and filmmaker. And also to Jay Seidbotham, who provided beautiful art for our, our podcast, and Ryan Lee for the always groovy music he plays for us. Now, before we uh, completely wrap this, I want to let you know that Triple S is going on vacay, uh, hiatus, vacation. But we'll be back in September sharing more stories of connecting our souls to spades and spoons. So uh, thank you all uh, for joining us today and see you in the fall.